Amen. Did you come here today because you wanted to hear from God? Yeah. Is there more that came here today to hear from God? Yeah. Listen, I, this is up to you, not up to me. Don't look at me like this is, oh, well, that's your job, Pastor Mark. My job is to share with you what the Word of God has to say, what I believe that God has for me as, a, as your pastor to teach you and to preach to you about the rightly dividing of God's Word. How you receive that is up to you. How you hear, what you came hungry for, that's what God is going to fill you with. There's a lot of people who come hungry to have their ears tickled and just to, um, you know, get a, a, a something that will puff us up kind of thing. Listen, if that's what you come hungry for, Either that's what you'll get out of all of it, or that's what you'll leave disappointed that you didn't. God wants to speak to you. How many of you know, though, that God doesn't always speak to us about things that we really want to hear? I know there's times when my kids do not come and ask Dad a question. Because they pretty well know that Dad is not going to say what they want to hear. And I know that that's times when we do that. And so we're, we're continuing in our study going through the, the gospel of Luke. And we're going to go back into Luke chapter 1. It's been, uh, I'm going to continue from something back, I don't know, a month ago or so that we continued. I'm going to continue this series. I, I thought about, oh, God, should we just skip over this stuff here? And um, it's been so long. And, um, you know, honestly, it was like one of those, I don't know, revelations. Or, but anyway, God, it was like God said, my word has endured for thousands of years. I think it can make it a few weeks, Mark. So we're going to continue in what Mary has to say. I am, the more and more I study this, the more impressed I am with this young lady. This young lady begins to share with you and I, share with us some absolute incredible truths. It's almost like we're getting this theology course through a song that she sung through the life that she lived, through the beliefs that she had. The, the young lady just comes and she brings us this amazing song and there is so much depth to it all. And I don't want to miss it because I believe with all of my heart that God has brought you here or those who are listening online, that God has something that he wants you to receive from this. He wants us to receive from this little girl. Are you willing to or are you going to discount that because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just Mary. It's just a little teenage girl. God can speak to us through anything. He can speak through a donkey. And today he wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak to you through a 12, 13, 14, I don't know exactly her age, but a young, teenage, unmarried, pregnant woman. We have to decide are we ready to hear it. So let's read through this, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, and again, this was Mary's song. So Mary is singing this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name." 
Now, it's amazing, isn't it? All that Mary has to say in the midst of such an unknown situation in front of her. She doesn't know what the future holds. She doesn't know what it looks like. In fact, the most logical explanations of what's to come would be horrible, difficult. Stuff we don't want to even think about yet. Listen to what she's saying about the goodness of God to her. She's talking about that in her. And then she goes on and she, she kind of turns, and I'll, I'll, I'll go through this a little more when we break this down. But he says, she goes through and she starts, continues to sing. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the blessing that you are. We thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for the power you have poured out for us. We thank you, God, that you are good, and that, God, you have good things for us. Lord, I pray that today we could come away with a relationship more like the one Mary had with you. That, God, we could understand the fullness of where this was coming from, of the depth of where this was flowing out of. And where, Lord, where did she get the wisdom? Where did all this come from? And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today, Lord. To each and every one that's here, let us receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen? So a couple, few weeks back, and you can go back, and I'm not going to go through them all, but Mary, in her description of God, as she's beginning to lay out this theological description of God, and, and she's going deep with this, and all these things that she's declaring God the Father to be, but she's also talking about God that's in her belly, God that's the size of a, you know, a peanut right now. She's just weeks along at the most, and, and, and weeks along in herself that she's carrying God. And so she begins this song declaring that God is Lord. She goes into this, that God is Savior. God is omniscient. God is respectful. God is mighty. God is personal. And we talked about all of those things and, and the depth of, of what she was saying. And now she continues in this song and continues to share with us her knowledge of God. And she goes on in verse 49... She declares that God is holy. God is holy. In verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. He has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Church, listen. God is not good and evil. Come on, he's not. God is not good and evil. He is good. God is only good. There is nothing but good in him. Every good thing comes down from above, coming from the Father of heavenly life. He does not do evil and good. He does, doesn't do evil. There is no evil in him. All he does is good. One of the 
things that, you know, becomes difficult. And I, I understand this, but it's still difficult because I watch people go through some really horrific things in their life. People that are going through devastating times and difficult circumstances and situations just in their own, in what they're going through. They go through these difficult places and difficult circumstances. But then on top of that, they'll come and they'll ask, Pastor, is God punishing me? Is, God, is, is this all because God's punishing me? And again, I'm talking to believers, but no. No, God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. Church, there may be times of God's discipline in your life, but that is not punishment. And there's a huge difference between discipline and punishment. God does not punish us. And the reason that God does not punish us is because that would be unholy. If you are a born-again believer, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of God that has walked in repentance to see your sins forgiven, that means that all of your sins were placed on Jesus Christ, that all of your sins were carried by Jesus to the cross at Calvary. And when he suffered, he did not suffer for his sin, he suffered for yours. He suffered for ours. He suffered for the sins that he was able, and he alone, to bear the punishment of so that you might be forgiven. He suffered in your place. He died in your place. He died for your sins on the cross at Calvary. God, the Father, placed the punishment for your sin on Jesus Christ, and he bore that punishment. For those who are, are redeemed, that's what we have received. So listen, church, then for, for the Father then to punish the Son and then to come back again and to say that wasn't enough and to punish you again for the sins that Jesus died for, that would be, God would be unholy in that because that would be unjust. As a believer, your sins have already been, bore the punishment of and you have been forgiven. Now again, doesn't mean that God doesn't bring discipline into our lives. It certainly doesn't mean that our sins don't have consequences anymore. When you sin, you will find that there are consequences to your sin. And when you sin, you're going to find that God's up there. And, and, and this is what happens is we sin. And then what, what God tells us in his word will happen, happens. And then we get mad at God because we're walking in this place where we're walking in the consequences of our sin. I thought I was redeemed. Why are you doing this to me? And God's like, didn't I tell you in your word that would happen? If you do this stupid thing, you're going to get this stupid result. Listen, that's not God punishing you. That's you walking in the consequence of your folly. So there are natural consequences. Listen, if you eat too much, if you drink too much, if you have sex outside of wedlock, if you do drugs, listen, you're going to be unhealthy, pregnant, and broke. You're going to be bound up in addiction. But church, that, that's not God punishing you. That's you living your life in such a way that it's outside of the guardrails of God's word that he gave you. That's your choice. 
you will reap what you sow. But church, please hear me. That, that is not God punishing you. Those are the consequences of what Scripture calls folly. You choosing to do that. But God, he's not punishing you. God loves you. He loves you. And God has great things in store for you. God desires to do great things in you because he's holy. He's altogether good. That's who he is. He is holy. That's his name. But Satan, he wants to come during those moments when we're in crisis or in difficulty. And Satan wants to come and he wants to whisper in our ear, hey, hey, see, 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 God's hurting you. And, and we go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, Satan is a liar. There is no truth in him. All that can come out of him is lies. Yet, isn't it amazing how we can be the exception and he can come whisper in our ears and we go, oh, yeah, you're right. No, he's not right. He's never been right. All he's ever done is lie to you. God does great things. God has great things in store. In fact, Mary is telling us in this, and again, think about this. In the midst of the life that she's right in the middle of, Mary says, holy, not, not unholy, holy is his name. And she declares that. But what Satan wants you to do is Satan wants you to believe that it's God that's punishing you, that God is the one, that he's ready with the moment you make a mistake or the moment something happens. God is up there and he's just got his knuckle out and he's ready to thump you on the back of the head. And you've had so many thumps that you just don't want to take another one. Satan wants you to do this, run from God, not to God. It's what he desires for you to do. You know what Satan wants you to be doing? Satan wants you to worry not worship. That's what he desires you to do. Be a warrior, not a worshiper. Now Mary, she's in this season right now. Do, do you think that Mary had anything to worry about? I mean, she was at a time in her life where she's away. She doesn't know. I mean, she's a, she's a teen pregnant girl. She's got no job, no way of being able to produce any, anything in her life to feed herself, take care of herself. Her fiance that she was supposed to be married to, she's not sure if when she goes home he's gonna do that. She's not sure if her family's gonna accept her. She's not sure what's gonna happen in the town. She could go home and they could strip her naked and put her in the town square and stone her to death for, what, for being an adulteress. All of that stuff are things that Mary, she's looking at here and thinking, oh my goodness, I got some things to worry about. No matter what you have to worry about, I can pretty well guarantee she had more. More things in her life, more things going on. I, I, and again, on top of all of that, just this pressure, I have to birth and raise God. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine the pressure. I, I just remember when Lauren was born, and I remember the first time holding this little baby and looking into this beautiful little baby and going, oh, she's so cute, and, 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 and now I have to feed her for the rest of her life, and I have to buy diapers, and I, I, we can't live in the car, and I have to have food, and I have to take care of her, and I have to raise her, and I have to, I have to get close for her, and I have to love her. And all of a sudden, this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Can you imagine 
that overwhelming sense of responsibility that Mary would have had knowing that she was to birth, to raise, and to take care of God? I mean, let's face it. That's at a level that's beyond where we might be able to go. I, I can only see that. But listen, you know what Mary's doing? Mary, she's not worrying. Instead of worrying, what Mary's doing is worshiping. Mary is, we listen, worshiping is the answer to worry. Come into that place, listen, and beginning to worship by faith. Beginning to just learn to worship by faith. Because the more we worship, and, I, and I'll show you here in a moment, the more it changes us. It changes our heart. It changes our lives. The more we worship. Worship is the answer for worrying. But worship is also the answer for coveting. Listen, Mary, I, I want you to learn this today. Mary, she replaces coveting with worship. I don't understand why we're talking about coveting. I'm, I don't covet. Listen, you probably don't think you covet because you probably don't truly understand what it is. Because it's something that we all struggle with. What, other, honestly, if we didn't all struggle with it, God wouldn't have made it one of the Ten Commandments. You know, coveting in a, in a spiritual sense, in a reality sense, is when we look at somebody else's life and we look at the evidence of God's grace in their life and God's provision in their life and God's love in their life and God's presence in their life and God's caring in their life and we look at that all and then we get jealous. Well, I want that. Why can't I have that? Well, I want what they have. I want what they've got there. Thou shalt not covet and if you don't want to stop coveting, if you want to stop continuing to covet, then you have to start worshiping. You have to start letting, worshiping God. Because we live in a world, listen, the, wor the world right now that we live in, the truth is, is that we live in a world that exists to make you a coveter. It, it, it does. We call them commercials. Advertising and marketing. And they create, they, are, they exist to create coveting in you. Th think about this. When you even, no matter what, see their car? Look at that car. Don't you wish you had that car? Hey, look at that house. Isn't that a nice house? Don't you wish you had that house? Oh, look, look how skinny that model is. Don't you wish you were that skinny? Look at the beautiful clothes. Oh, don't you wish you had clothes like that? Look at that marriage. Don't you wish you were married? I mean, he's tricky. He, he, hey, look, they're divorced. Don't you wish you were divorced? Oh, they're healthy. Don't you wish you were healthy like them? It turns into coveting. And we begin to long for what somebody else has. All this life is intended to get you to covet, to be dissatisfied, to, to get you to look into someone else's life and say, how come that's not my script? How come that's not my story? God, how come I don't get to read those lines and they do? What Mary does? And do you think Mary had the opportunity to covet? 
What Mary does is Mary's celebrating. We can hear it in this song uh, and that she's singing here. Mary, she celebrates the evidence and the evidences of God's grace in her life. So she's singing about, and we read that down to verse 49, the, the evidences of God's grace in her life. And then she starts to sing about the evidences of God's grace in other people's lives. She starts to sing about this. Rather than coveting, we find Mary worshiping. And church, we have this modern cultural way of worship that, in fact, it's one of the reasons why I've told Lauren over the years that, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do different kinds of worship, different ways of worship. I don't really care if people like it. If people are coming just because of the band, then listen, there's a lot of places that eventually you'll find that have a better band. Go there. We're going to worship God however we see fit, however it is that God has given us the ability to do that. And whether it's with, like today with one guitar and a singer or a full band, you know what? We're going to worship God, not the worshipers. Because today's modern form of worship, to be quite honest, is often very narcissistic. It's individualistic. To be honest, it becomes downright self-centered and selfish. Think about it. You know what? I'll go to church and I'll worship God if God does good things for me. I'll worship God if things are going the way I want them to go. I'll worship God if I feel like it. I don't feel like, you know what? I don't feel like God's been very good. I'm not going to worship today. You know what? I don't just want to. I don't feel like it. Worship becomes all about us. Worship's not about us. Worship's about him. Worship's all about worshiping him. And this is what we find Mary doing. We find Mary worshiping. And we find Mary worshiping God for a number of things. One, he's, she's worshiping because of who he is. Two, she's worshiping because of what he's done in her life. And three, she's worshiping because of what she sees him doing in the lives of people around her. What's happening in the lives of others. And honestly, God, we worship God for all of that. I often get people that will, 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 will you know, talk about, you know, I just, you know, I feel like God's just not doing anything. I'm just not feeling God. And you know what? There's seasons in every one of our lives. Honestly, if God was just always in the middle of doing things that were, you'd be worshiping the things, not the God who brings the things. There's seasons in our life that sometimes we go through a, a summer season where there's some dry places and some things, and people will ask, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? Why don't I feel God? Why isn't God doing this and that and the other thing? And there's times in all of our lives, and maybe you're in one of those times right now. Maybe you're going through one of these moments when it just doesn't seem like you're in a season where God's up to something in your life. I can promise you this, God's up to something in someone's life right now. God's doing something in someone, and rather than you, listen, coveting, worship him. 
Worship him. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the things you're doing, even in the lives of those around you. Lord, I may be feeling sick right now, but thank you that so-and-so is healthy. Lord, my life may be struggling right now. Everything may be complicated, but I thank you that things are going well for so-and-so right now. I thank you for that today, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, I may feel like I'm going through this dry season, but I thank you that so-and-so is growing, and I can see it in their life. I'm, Lord, I am searching for a job, and I need a job job, and you know I need a job, but Lord, I am thankful today that so-and-so found the job that they want, the job that they love. We can worship God because of what he's doing in the lives of those around us, and this is why, church, it's so important that we're a part of a church, a church family, part of, of a group that would celebrate, a community that comes together, part of a life group, so that we can celebrate together. Because if all you do is worship God because of the grace you experience in your life, you're going to find you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities to really experience a fresh and a new depth and depth of true joy as you begin to worship because of the things that God's doing in the lives of those around you. Because when you get connected, you get connected in, in ways to the body of Christ, you begin to see new people come. You begin to see people getting saved, people giving their heart to Jesus, people seeing their sins forgiven, the guilt and the condemnation lifted from their lives and begin to see their lives begin to change and be transformed right in front of your eyes. You begin to watch God doing this in people's lives and now we've got something to be glad for, something to celebrate, something to worship him for. We have so much that if we look around to find, listen, one of the greatest, if not the greatest joy for me as a pastor is seeing the evidences of God's grace in the lives of you. Watching God work in your lives, seeing God take you out of the, the darkness and into the light. Watching God bring transformation to your life. It brings a gladness in me. It brings a joy in me. It causes me to want to cry out with thanksgiving to God because of how I watch him move in your life and see you grow and see the grace of God become evident as you become a reflection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the place in which God's placed you. What a tremendous joy. And church, it's something that God's given to us. You, you don't think that Mary could have looked at the lives of other people? Mary could have looked and said, well, how come they're rich and I'm poor? How come their life looks perfect and my life is so complicated and uncertain right now? How come, God, I, listen, God, I had this script written. I had my plans. I had it all written out. I had my future. And God, you came in and rewrote the whole thing. That's not what she does. You know what Mary does? She sings. She sings. She's in the midst of worship. Listen, listen to, she says this in, in verse 50. She says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She had just gotten done telling us how good God is to me. And now she begins to say, I'm going to worship God because of how good he is to me. I'm going to worship God because of what things that he's done in my life, how good he is, how good he's been to me. And I'm going to worship him for the grace that I see in the lives of those around me. 
And that's what she's talking about. And then she continues in this, honestly, this theological discourse to describe God. And she, in verse 50, she says, God is merciful. And she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy, you know what that means? It means he withholds the justice that we deserve as sinners. And what God does is he replaces that that we deserve with grace, giving us what we don't deserve. God is merciful. God doesn't give us the judgment we deserve. Instead, God pours grace out that we can receive from him what we don't deserve. I think about how merciful God has been with me. How God has put up with me when I can't put up with me. There's times when, when, you know what, God likes me when I don't like me. I mean, how many of you, like me, have a hard time sometimes even putting up with yourself? I do. I'm not holy like God is holy. And I'm not perfect like God is perfect. Yet God still chooses to be merciful to me. He still chooses each and every morning to have fresh new mercies available to mark on that awaking of my my day, the beginnings of my day. He's merciful. He's merciful with me. He's merciful with you. He's merciful with us. And then he goes on and he says, and not only to you, but I'm going to be merciful from generation to generation. Praise God, you know what that means? That I have the opportunity to share a legacy with my household, with my children, that will actually be filled with the mercy of God to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and even to the day in which one day I am gone from this world maybe for a hundred years. The mercy of God that's been poured out for Mark is the mercy of God that my great-great-grandchildren will be walking in. It's a promise that God has made. He is merciful and he's merciful from generation to generation. This is amazing that God has that much mercy that he wants to pour out. Because I'll be honest with you. There are times when I am just done being merciful with people. (laughs) There are times when, you know what? Come on, anybody else been there? You're done? In fact, it's to that point where it's like, you know what? I am sick of them. Listen, we may get to the place where we're sick of them but God isn't. And God in his mercy is wanting to bring them to Christ, wanting to see their soul saved, to see the mercy of God poured out, not just for the day, but for the entirety of their life. God wants to pour out mercy for that person that you may be sick of. God wants to pour mercy out into their life and into the lives of their children and into the lives of their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and right on down from generation to generation. Listen, some of us can't endure somebody for an hour, but God can do it for our lifetimes. Generations to come, he is merciful. And Mary, she says, that's amazing. And she's worshiping God because he's so merciful. And then Mary begins to, again, goes on, and she tells us God is worthy. In verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for who? For those who fear him from generation to generation. Those who fear him. You know, church, 
She's saying God is worthy to those who fear him. Not afraid of him. God doesn't want to be us to be afraid of him so that we're afraid to approach him, afraid to come to him, afraid of what he'll say. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. God wants us to have a fear of him. What she's saying here is that she says that that fear is reverence, it's awe, it's respect, submission, obedience. God deserves that. She's saying God is worthy of my awe. God is worthy of my dedication. God is worthy of my respect. He is worthy of my obedience because he is the only one that is worthy. Church, listen, who in this lifetime is worthy of that kind of trust in your life? Who in this lifetime are you going to rejoice in and pronounce as worthy and find joy in that? Who are you going to find as the center of your life? Who are you going to find your identity in? Church, who is it that you're going to allow to create passion in this lifetime? God, Jesus Christ is the only one that is worthy of those things. God is worthy, and he is worthy for you and I to find the fear of God, to that kind of reverence and to revere him. He is worthy of being respected. He is worthy of us being in awe. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our worship. He and he alone is worthy of those things. And I told you earlier, I'd tell you why this was so important. He alone is worthy. And you see, church, again, this is really important for us to understand. We will become like that which we worship. We do. And you will become more and more like that which you worship in your life. And if you are worshiping the God that is revered, the God that is honorable, the God that is loving, the God that is merciful, the God that is compassionate, the God that's kind, the God that's generous, you will become more like him. You will be more and more transformed unto his image. But church, if you put anything or anyone else in that place of God-centered, that position of centrality and prominence and preeminence in your life, you will become more like that which you worship. And it gets worse and worse every day. And church, it begins to affect in a negative way all those that you're connected with. Mary, Mary says, you know what? My God is the only one who's to be feared. My God is the only one who's to be revered and to be honored. My God is the one in whom I will worship. And she's teaching us. She's teaching us. Are you learning it? Are we learning it? Come on, amen. She says, God is powerful. In verse 51, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. Our God is not just powerful. Our God is all-powerful. There is nothing that's impossible for him. He is able to do anything and everything. And because our God is powerful, our God is all-powerful, that means he should do whatever it is we tell him to do. Right? No? Yes? Yes. He should do everything we tell him to do? Come on, he's God just burst a few bubbles. He's God, we're not. 
And just because he's all-powerful and can do everything doesn't mean he's going to do everything. It doesn't mean God's just going to go and do everything that we tell God to do, everything we want him to do, that God's going to do that. No, what that means, God being all-powerful, it means God can do whatever he wants to do. But I don't like that, Pastor. Well, so what? Take it up with God. The psalmist, the psalmist say, God sits in heaven and does whatever pleases him. God can do anything. And I'm amazed. And I, I've seen people, and it breaks my heart. I'm not making light of this. But I, I've seen people that were alcoholics and that literally from their heart came statements like, you know what, I just don't believe that God is bigger than the alcohol problem I have. For the drug addict, God's just not bigger than the drugs. For the addict, God's not bigger than what I'm addicted to. You know, for the one that's dating a total loser, God's not bigger than this relationship. I mean, he couldn't, you know. How could God deliver me and give me joy apart from this person that's my idol? We, we just don't believe God to be bigger than those things. And I, I think, really? Really, God, God's not stronger? God's not bigger? God's not more able? What is it that you're going through right now in your life that maybe not in your conscious mind, but in your subconscious, you have deemed God not big enough? Those things that you have deemed impossible, those people that you deemed impossible for God to save. Those situations that you seen deemed impossible for God to move in. Those marriages that you deemed impossible for God to heal. What is it that God's not bigger than in your life? Because I want you to know he is. He's more capable. He's more competent. He's more powerful. But what we do is we get into these situations where we see the impossibility of it all. And we give up. And when we give up, we give in. And when we give up and we give in, we give ourselves permission to live our lives in that sin. Because God's not big enough. And we give ourselves permission to live in folly. This is what happens in many believers' lives. Instead, you need to know that God, and again, this is a metaphor. God is spirit. So the, the metaphor, God is, he uses his strong arm. He uses his strong arm, church. He uses, think of a warrior. Think of a, a fighter. Think of a soldier. Think of the, the God with a strong arm. And think of him reaching down into history. Reaching down in the past, the present, and the future. Reaching down and taking hold of all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And pulling them out of darkness. And pulling them out of sin. And pulling them out of their muck and mire. And pulling them out out of the hell that they're living in. Our God is a God with a strong right arm and he's able to reach anyone and everyone who will call upon his name. Nothing and no one is outside of the reach of the strong arm of God. And you need to understand and know that his desire is to reach down and to save, is to, to, to bring a, a defense for those who are defenseless, to protect them, to secure them, embracing them, holding them, cherishing them, loving them. Mary says, my God is powerful. That's her God. Her God, in verse 51, her God is sovereign. Listen to what he, she says here. This is beautiful. Again, I, I want you to think of who this is coming from. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. That is beautiful. Coming from a teenage pregnant girl that lives in a small little tiny rural town. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. That from a little girl who in that culture had no human rights. She had no civil rights. In that day, a, a woman, especially in her situation, women, they weren't allowed to buy property. They weren't even able to testify in court. On the scale of value, do you know what they traded for a woman? The scale of value, this young, unmarried, teenage, pregnant girl, her value was right along the level of cattle and livestock. Being young, unmarried, and pregnant, that could put her beneath livestock. That was what the culture, the value they had placed on this little girl. She's living under the throne of the, of the wicked Caesar. Everyone knew the oppression of Caesar, the oppression that was there. And Mary's saying, listen, Caesar might be Lord, but Caesar's not my Lord. Caesar might be king, but he's not my king. And if Caesar sits on his throne, my God sits on a throne that's bigger than his. My king rules over every king. My king has a kingdom that rules over every other kingdom. And there is no kingdom that will compare to the kingdom of my God. My God is the sovereign one. My God is the one who gives me dignity. My God is the one who loves me. Guy, my God is the one who cares for me. My God is the one who shows kindness to me. My God is the one who forgives me. My God is the one who brings mercy to me. My God is the one who does great things to me. And my God is the one who even knows the thoughts and the tents of people's hearts. And if they're proud, he takes them down. But for those like me, for those that are widows, he defends the widow. He defends the orphan. He defends the outcast. He defends the oppressed. And for girls like me in the position that I am, I have a real king. And she knew that. Those are huge words, church. Think of the implication. These are huge words coming from a teenage girl. Mary, Mary's confidence wasn't in Mary. Mary's confidence was in Mary's God. It's where she was at. And I want you to know, church, that our God, Mary's God, he is establishing a kingdom. He began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he's forwarding that kingdom and the kingdom plans through the preaching of the gospel as people come to know Jesus Christ and his kingdom will culminate at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you know what will happen in that time? you will find there will be one throne and there will only be one who sits on that throne and there will only be one who is able to, 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 uh, to sit upon this one throne and Jesus Christ is his name. He is the one and every dictator, every single ruler and every single high and mighty and proud, every king, every CEO, every president, every senator, every congressman, every governor, they will all bow before the throne of God. Every 
every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and no matter who they are, they will be found on their knees before the throne of King Jesus, who will take his place on the throne of the kingdom that will last forever, and the kingdom that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the privilege of being participants. I am a member of the family of the Most High, and I will bow before him as my Savior, as my God, and because of what he did, I will not stand before him as the judge. Come on, amen. He is the one. And Mary, Mary's saying, I can wait. I can be patient. I'm looking forward to the day when I get to meet this great king. He was in her belly. The last thing that I want to talk about for today there's more we'll finish up with next week, but the graciousness of God. Mary says in verse 52, she sings, and exalted those of humble estate. She exalted those, that, that, those words humble estate, that, that's, she's not talking about what she owns. She's not talking about where she lives. She's not talking about her home. That's not what this humble estate means. In fact, if you look it up in the Greek, that word, those words humble estate, what it means is humiliated. It means humiliation. It says he exalts those who have been humiliated. And Mary, she knew in front of her, she had a life of humiliation. They said what could happen to her in the city square, how her husband or fiance could reject her, how her parents could totally cast her out, how everybody would totally leave her abandoned. In fact, to her, the only thing that she would ever be able to do to raise any kind of money or funds or to have anything would be a prostitution. Humiliating. She says he exalts those of humble estate. How many of you have been humiliated? Parents that said horrible things to you. Parents that said things that nobody else ever had, nor ever should. Maybe a father who walked out on you when you needed him the very most. A mom who blamed you for the divorce. Maybe you've been cheated on or lied to, or betrayed. People said things behind your back that they said they would never say. And whether they were true or not, they said it. And they said it to people and it devastated you. It humiliated you. Maybe you, you were beaten or molested sexually, physically, emotionally, verbally abused, raped. Look, have you been humiliated? What Mary's saying is, my God is gracious. My God is so gracious. He takes those of us that have been destroyed, those of us that have been humiliated, and he gives us dignity. 
He restores back what the enemy has stole. He takes those who feel like we are very little, like we have no meaning, like we have no value or purpose as a person, and he blesses us with dignity and grace. Church, do you know what disgrace is? You might want to write this down. In fact, I don't mean this jokingly. I mean this in a serious way. It's very simple, but you may want to write this down. Disgrace is simply the absence of grace. Just the absence of grace. Where disgrace is. And you know what God does for those who are disgraced? He gives grace. He brings grace. It's the only thing that can remove disgrace is grace. It's the only thing that can remove darkness is light. God brings grace into those who have been disgraced. And again, I feel like this is a huge part of what the church should be. What the church should be doing is a place of grace, a place where people can come because I believe there's way more disgrace and humiliation than what we think or even begin to believe. Statistically, and these are just the statistics, and again, these statistics I believe are way on the low end because I believe in the humiliation of some of these things that people just don't tell anyone. Nobody knows. But statistically, one out of three, some say one out of four, women have been abused. Sexually, emotionally, physically. One out of three. One out of four. And that's of those who have ever said anything. They say one out of four or five men have been abused. Humiliated. Humiliated to the point, I don't want to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody about what happened because it's humiliating what went on. And so we live with this. We go through that and we, we just think that we're just gonna eke through and we're just gonna do it. Listen, we need to be a church that's willing to reach out in those places that uh, people have experienced humiliation to bring some healing. We need to be a church that wants to and can help to bring grace into places of disgrace, to come and to help people as they walk through some of these things that have happened in their life because we need to help people see that God exalts those who have been humiliated. God exalts those who are of humble estate. God is the one who can do that. And God can actually take that humiliation and God can use it in your life. God can use it in your life as he begins to take that place of disgrace and fills it with grace and he can use you to begin to tell other people how God brought you out and to begin to let people see and to know and to hear of the redemptive story of your life. How once you walked in humiliation like Mary but you found the God who brings grace into disgrace. The God who exalts that place of humiliation and God's going to use you in powerful ways to help those who have been humiliated. Mary says he's wonderful. My God is gracious. But the thing about Mary is that Mary didn't have the gospel of Luke. Mary didn't know 
what chapter 2 was going to look like. She didn't know what chapter 3 was going to be. Or 4 or 5. She didn't know. This is as far as Mary knew right now. We know because we have Luke's discourse on the whole thing, but she didn't know. Just like you may not know. Listen, Mary didn't know what the future held. But it's very obvious that Mary knew the one who'd held it. And you may not know what the future holds. But God, the God of grace and mercy, has made a way that you could come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, where you could come to know the God that Mary knew. Is that where you're at today? Worship team, come on back up, will you? Will you all bow your heads in prayer with me? And let me ask you this, church, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Do you know the God that Mary knew? I fully and completely believe without a moment of hesitation that Mary is describing to you and I the one true God. She's describing the God that she loves. She's describing the God in her belly. Do you know the God that Mary knew? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would, Father, move upon the hearts of men and women in this place, that you would take this opportunity, Lord, to draw men and women to yourself, that in the grace of the Almighty, we would find you faithful. We would see you high and lifted up. We would find you, Lord, as you are, not as we believed or wanted to believe, but God, as you are, that you are the God who is holy. You are the God who is merciful. You are the God that is gracious. You are the God that is worthy. You are the God that is powerful, that in all these things, Lord, they are parts and pieces of who you are, and as a whole, we know, Lord, that that is who you are, Jesus, the Christ, Messiah. God, open the hearts of men and women in this place today. Open their hearts to, a, to the revelation of a relationship with you. Let me ask, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life? Have you received this beautiful story of redemption? A God who loves you so much that he gave his own life as the perfect lamb of God to carry your sins upon his shoulders that you might be forgiven, that he could carry your punishment, take what you deserved, and give you life, eternal life. As Jesus said, you must be born again. Are you born again? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking how long you've gone to church. I'm asking, are you born again? Have you received the grace of God into your heart to replace the disgrace that you've received? Do you need him today to 
come into your life? Are you ready to say, Jesus, I need my sins forgiven. I need to be cleansed of my iniquity. Lord, I want to know you like Mary knew you. I'd love to pray with you. If that's you today, and I won't embarrass you, but I do want you to make a recognition that this is me. If that's you today, would you raise your hand up just so I can see where you're at? Is there anybody here today? Praise God. Anybody else here today that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I want a relationship like Mary had. Lord, you, you see the hearts of those, Lord, who are calling out to you. You see, Lord God, the hand of surrender. It says, I need you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would bring an infilling, an overwhelming sense of your presence, Lord, that would come and bring healing and wholeness, that would bring restoration to a, a dry spirit, to a dead place, that you could bring life, that you could bring, Lord, your liberties, that you could bring, Lord God, the freedom that's only found in you. God, I pray that today, Lord, in each and every heart, there would be a refreshing rain that would begin to fall. Let us, Father, desire, let us long for something like we find in this young girl, in this little girl, Lord, where everything is so so uncertain. I thank you, Lord, that I can hear, I can receive a certainty, Lord, that she has and say, Lord, I wanted that certainty in me. Help me to worship my way, Lord, out of the worries of my life. Help me to worship, Lord, in a way that would remove the coveting in my life. That, God, I could be content because the life that I have is the life that you've given. And I know that you're going to see me through. I know that you're not going to leave me and you're not going to forsake me. And I can make it through anything as long as I have you there with me me. God, help us to worship you with all abandon. Help us, Lord, to see you, Father God, as the one that is worthy, the one that is able. Lord, let us deem you that. Let us find you worthy in our lives, worthy of our worship, worthy of our outstretched hands, worthy, Lord, of the words that would come from our mouth. Let it not be, Lord, of us. Let it be a worship that would come for you, something that you deserve, Lord. God, your grace is sufficient. It's not by works, church. Listen, we're not, we're not saved because we lay, raised a hand. We're not saved because we said a prayer. We're, not, we're saved because we bow our hearts and we call out to Jesus and we receive the free gift of eternal life that he's provided for those who will call upon his name. And today, he reaches down with his strong arm and pulls us up out of the darkness and brings us into light. He takes the dead spirit and makes it new and brings life. He breathes breath into places where life never was and helps us to experience the fullness of that grace grace in our life. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. You trust him? That you're good and your love is great. I'm To trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. 
sing it out. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to pierce through the top. And cleanse every part of me and all I am and I does in our lives. Thank him right now for who he is. Thank him for what he does in your life. Thank him for what he's doing in the lives of those that are around you. But we have so much to worship him for. Amen? Church, I love you. I want to encourage you. Get, become a part of a life group. Find one and become part of one. Come and begin to do life together. It's so important. Uh, listen, and you may think, oh, it's not about, I don't want to. I don't need it. What if it's not about you? What if somebody needs you? Come on, we need to do life together. We need to be the church. So when you go, I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about that. As your pastor, I'm asking you to do that. God bless y'all. Go be the church. Amen. Go be all that God has for you. Go be the church. God bless you all. I love you. Don't forget, if you need some prayer, and I would love the opportunity to pray with you up here. Don't leave without it. God bless y'all.